All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Good morning, Kabbalah and Coffee. All right, we are studying feminine faith. We are in the middle of chapter 3. We're on page number 40. And we are about to start. Let's, uh, let's pass the Talmudic section out, or the supplementary texts, because we are going to be uh, grappling with these right now. One over here. And there we go. You got it? Sorry, I didn't get much uh, coverage on that. Okay. Here's what I want to do. I want to do this Chavrusa style, which is study buddy style. So please uh, study the first text, the rabbi and the heretic, with a study partner with somebody next to you. Again, this uh, method of study is called Chavrusa. And uh, let's, uh, let's make it work. All right? Chavrusa. Chavrusa style. Just the first piece? Just the first piece. Just the first piece. So the rabbi and the heretic on the first page? Just those uh, six paragraphs or so. Seven. Yeah, please feel free to read out loud. Somebody should read, somebody should listen. You need to study, buddy. You want to join up with, uh, with the group? Yeah, so 
I'm going to give another, uh, just probably one more minute or two to uh, to discuss the text. We'll discuss it in the uh, in the group. One more minute. <laughs> what do you say? Is this going to be on the chat? <laughs> we'll give you a case of the Talmud here. I never understand any not even. We'll go through it. <laughs> Clear up everything. <laughs> I'm like a good motion. I like your Got it from New York, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. All right, folks, let's discuss the uh, the text. I, I, I called it enigmatic for a reason. <laughs> now, first of all, I, I realized that my error here was twofold. Number one, I, I forgot to put the citation where it's from. This is a Talmudic, this is from the Talmud, from Tractate Sanhedrin, page 38b. All right, Sanhedrin 38b. That's where this comes from. Um, the other thing is, I, I realize that a lot, uh, a lot of you, that, from what I picked up, just uh, eavesdropping a little bit on the conversation, um, the pronouns were a little bit confusing. A lot of hims, yeah, a lot of hims and he's and him, he, ha, how, who, ha. Right? Okay. Let's let let's take it from the top. All right. Rav Nachman said. Actually, no, I'm, I'm not going to read this. Let's take it from the top. Okay, so we have Rav Nachman saying that Rav Idit, he knows how to answer a heretic. But not, but someone who is not so skilled should not. Does anybody know why? You may not know what you're talking about. But, but so what's the danger? What's the problem? You might just duel the heretic more. A heretic's a heretic. What's the problem? If you don't have, if you don't have, if you don't understand, if you don't have a depth of understanding, and you engage in a debate, you might start thinking, well, if if they're a better debater than you, you might think, well, wait a second, maybe I got to reconsider. So the point is, if you don't, if you're not a, that's why, by the way, it says in Jewish law, not to debate heretics, not to debate. Again, debate as opposed to having a conversation. Don't debate heretics. Don't debate other. Re- it's not a. It's not, we're not into Jews. We're never into debates. Now there were times in history where there were forced debates. 
years, centuries ago, there were forced debates. Right? The local, you know, the local religion forced the Jews, the rabbis, to debate by pain of expulsion or death. Either debate, or you guys are all out. Debate or die. And if you win, we'll still kill you. Because then who are you to, who are you to be, huh? No, debate, no, debate the Christians, debate the, uh, the clergy. Yeah, it was a, they have... That's exactly right. And in the JLI class, we said that that's where the whole chapter and verse comes from. Chapter and verse in Torah, the Torah, the scroll, the Torah doesn't have chapter and verse. Exodus 23, 31. There's no chapter and verse in Torah. There are different parashiot, there are different sections, there are different Torah portions, but chapter and verse, those numbers come from Christian origin. So how did they get adopted by the Jews when the Jews were forced to debate? And they had to answer they had to be on the same page, literally. They had to have the same, they had to throw out the numbers, they had to respond to the numbers. So they had to suddenly learn, crash course, chapter and verse. So that's where chapter and verse comes from. But anyway, the point is that there were these forces. But in general, the Talmud, again, Talmud is about 2,000 years old. The Talmud says, don't debate. No reason to debate. Unless you're Ravidit. Or somebody like Ravidit that has a power of, uh, incisive power of understanding and, and debate as well. Where he can, ex, you know, express and understand, get to the source of the issue, and express the argument, uh, express the Jewish perspective clearly, and, uh, and take it out like that. Now, by the way, just to take a step back, typically when it comes to debates, think about politics. Right. You're debating politics. Does anybody ever change no. their position? No. How, how often is it like, we have a political debate, oh, I thought I was a liberal, now I'm a conservative, oh, I thought I'm a conservative, now I'm a liberal. That, that doesn't happen. In a debate, you get entrenched, right? You come with your position, and that, that's why we, we you know, I, I try to make sure that we never discuss politics, because, you know, what's, what you're always, someone's going to be, there's no, anyway, here's the point. The point is that when it comes to debates, rarely is anything accomplished and therefore should not enter in the first place unless you're an exceptional debater or a sage, a scholar, whatever, then, uh, then perhaps. Anyway, the Talmud relates the story that happened with Rav Idit. The heretic came to him and he said, so what, so let me, so what did you get? What was the heretic's question? What was the question? Of, what was the first question? Semantics. <clears throat> Semantics. What, is it, what does the verse say? Right, simple question. This is, re- this is a verse that is said with regards to the giving of the Torah at Sinai, where God is telling Moses to ascend the mountain, right, and receive the, uh, the Torah, receive the Ten Commandments, etc. God spoke the Ten Commandments, but then He said to Moses, come up and learn the rest of it. So, it says to Moses, He said, come up to the Lord. So, who said this? Who said, come up to God? Was it God? He just said, come up to me. He didn't come up to the Lord. Speak of himself in third person. Right? He's not a, God is not an athlete. Athletes, I think, or actors are the only ones that are allowed to speak in third person. But God, God doesn't... Right? Ryan Braun said... Uh, Ryan Braun had a... Anyway, that's, that's another story. Alright, good. Anyway. So, so the question is, why does God say, come up to the Lord? So here's the answer. So that's the second paragraph, that's the question. The answer in the third paragraph is a response by Rav Idit, and his answer is, it was matat. What does it mean it was matat? I don't know. What does that mean? <laughs> I was that. Matat is the, the angel 
Who who is Matat's an angel? Oh yeah, sorry, sorry for leaving that information. No, Matat is an angel. If you look at okay, so now let's let's cross reference the text. So turn to page forty in your book. Turn to page forty in your book. If you don't have a book, I've got copies here. I've got plenty of copies. Everyone's you're good. Okay, everyone's good. Page forty in the book, footnote sixty-eight. All right, Matat's full name is. But it is customary that his name not be pronounced in full. Aha! They wanted to catch us there for a second, right? So, Matat's... Huh? Okay. But, uh, for, as the Zohar states, it says in Kabbalah, he is God's servant, the first creature created by God and the ruler of all his heavenly uh, legions. Now, what that means is um, that Matat is the first angel. We talked about, we've talked about this before in the class, that there are various angels that stand between heaven and earth. And they are messenger angels that kind of take packets of information, i.e. blessing. Right? Maybe turn it to some computer technology. He take, they do some uploading and downloading, the angels do. They take information from above and transfer it down below. And they take information below and transfer it back up. Up and down, up and down. Right? These are the angels in Yaakov's dream going up and going down, moving energy up, moving energy down. The first angel, the very first creature created by God, the ruler of all his heavenly legions is this fellow, is this angel, Matat. In addition, Rashi says that his name is similar to the name of the Creator. This is important. I'm still in the footnote, by the way. The numer- That's exactly what it is. The Master is the Creator. Exactly. With a capital M in the, in the Talmudic text, that's the same as Creator. Why the numerical, or not why, but the numerical value of, of the full name of Matat being the same as the divine name Shin Dalaj Yud, which we also don't pronounce the way it's written. We don't pronounce it Shin Dalaj Yud, and we don't read it, we say Shakai. We substitute the Dalit for a Kuf, or the D for a K sound, Shakai. Now, that's one of God's names. And the numerical value of that name, does anybody know uh, numerology? Shin? What's Shin? 300. Yeah. <laughs> Carry the three. <laughs> By the way, if you want to know, it does work like that. Aleph is one, Bez is two. It goes through till Yud, which is the tenth letter, which is ten. Then the next letter, Chav, you jump from ten, you don't go eleven. You go from ten to twenty. 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. Then from 100, you skip to 200. Then 300. Then 400. And then you run out of letters, Hebrew letters. There's the 22 letters. So Shin is the second to last letter. Shin is 300. Dalit is which, is now we can do it. Dalit is 4. And Yud is? I said it before. Yud is 10. I said Yud is 10. So we have, so how much is that? Let's tally it up. Three <laughs> fourteen. Now, Matat's full name is Mem. Okay, Mem is forty. Tess is nine. A second test, right? Matat is the second test is nine. So we have forty nine nine. So far, we're up to fifty eight. Reish, right? The last part of his name is Ryan, which we're not going to pronounce the, th- the thing together. The Reish is two hundred. Okay. The the Vav is six. And the nun is 50. Anybody got that? 314. Let me guess. <laughs> I'm feeling a... Yeah, was it 314? 314. There you go. It works every time. <laughs> For my next trick. Did you say bad No. Reish, mem, tes, tes, reish, vav, which is 6, and nun, which is 50. Yeah. And by the way, this is something that's that's totally. Um, 
This is something, by the way, that, I, that somebody, somebody suggested this at the last Torah studies class on Wednesday night, to do a class on, uh, or at some point somebody suggested, do a class on numerology. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there is gematria. Yes. Gematria. Gematria in the, the Hebrew term is gematria. Or things are Aramaic, actually, but that's how it's called. Gematria numerology is such an amazing topic. There is actually a commentary, the Balaturim, who is the author of Shulch, one of the authors of Shulchan Aruch, Tur. Balaturim, his commentary on Torah is from a... It's not necessarily Kabbalistic, because it's not mystical in that sense, but it's, num- it's very numerology-heavy, where he takes, like, not only words, and says, well, this word is related to that word, etc. He takes whole phrases in Torah, verses, and he's like, that phrase, those three, four words, boom, m- numerical value, the same num- n- numerology as those words, draws a correlation, conceptual correlation between them. It's an unbelievable work. It's an unbelievable work. And again, just the understanding here is that it's not that you figure out a connection, you know, you spend all night like calculating words and like, man, I got, I got a number for every word and try to put them together, and then you figure out a connection. It's because they're essentially connected, the concepts, that they share numerology, as we said in the last JLI class, or one of the, depending if you're Tuesday or Thursdays, um, the, the Hebrew letters contain energy. The Hebrew letters themselves contain energy. And it's reflected in the numerology, it's reflected in the shape. So similar letters, right? Similar letters, similar numbers, they're gonna, they, they, they share a correlation, they share a connection, which is why the concepts are connected as well. Anyway, okay, I hope that made sense. So this angel, Matat, the first angel, the angel that has, it's almost like the angel has a divine name. Good morning, Boker Tov. Okay? Um, good, that's it with the footnotes. So here's the point. In the... In the uh, in the text that we have, the Talmudic text and the supplementary text. There you go. Let's continue. So the answer that Rav Idid gave the heretic was that it was Matat who said that. His name is similar to that of the Master, for it's written, for my name is in him. What does it mean, for my name is in him? What does that mean? Who's saying that? For my name. My name is capitalized. God says, my name is in him. Where does he say that? God is saying, my name is in... Is in Matat. In other words, I've placed my name, my, in my holiness, in a sense, uh, to a certain degree. The angel is a reflection of my... This angel is a reflection, to some extent, of my holiness. My sales rep. Exactly. Now, again, we have to understand the concept here that... Well, you know, we're going to actually get to that. So, th- so what's, so what's Rev. Edith's actual answer? That when he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, that was Matat speaking. So that's why Matad is saying, go up to Hashem. Matad is able to speak on behalf of Hashem, saying, you know, he wants, to, he wants to see you now. Okay? Now, where does God say, for my name is in him? Exodus 23, 21. What's the context over there? Where does God say, my name is with him, with this angel? When does God say that in the Torah? In Exodus? We're making that up. We're not. Take a look at the bottom of the page. We're moving out from this text to where it says guardian angel. You see what just happened here? We're still on the supplementary text page. At the bottom of the page where it says guardian angel. This is like a text with a supplementary text within a supplementary text. Okay. Where it says like this. Behold, I am sending an angel. God says, Behold, I am sending an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I prepared. Look what God says to, to, to Moses, to the Jewish people. I am sending an angel before you. I know this because it's my bar mitzvah parasha. <laughs> All right? 
Alright? I'm not going to read it for you in the, with the thing because I may, may or may not have forgotten that. But anyway. <laughs> Behold, I am sending an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I prepared, i.e. Israel. Look what God says. I'm sending an angel as a third time. I'm sending an angel. Whoever thought this? Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Look at that. <laughs> Kung Fu Rabbi. Um, beats the bandit. Now, here's the deal. Kind of looks similar. Now, look. What? Huh? Kung Fu Rabbi. It's a great. Careful. Kabbalah will get you every time. I'm sending an angel before you. God says. Yeah. Where? Where? No, we're not there yet. Oh, slow it down. I'm not there yet. Beware of him. Look what God says. Beware of him. Beware of who? The angel. Beware of an angel? What? Is this Torah? It's Judaism? Beware of him and obey him? Uh, sorry. And obey him? Obey an angel? What? That's exactly the point. Do not rebel against him, for he will not forgive your transgression, for my name is within him. And wow, what is going on here? This is heavy stuff. This is Judaism? What? This is Exodus 23-21 right here. Straight up. I didn't do anything to the text. No artificial colors or flavoring. I am sending an angel before you to guard your way. Sounds so peaceful. Beware of him. Now it gets spooky. Right? Do not rebel against him. Uh-oh. He will not forget your transgression. Holy cow. My name is within him. So what's going on here? Many ways to understand this. There are many ways to understand this. Let's take it from a very simple perspective. The point that God is saying is that there is an angel assigned to you. The angel that's assigned to you is no small potatoes. It's matat. The angel is... You got, you, got the, you got the head honcho that's got your back, God says. Angel, matat is going to go before you. And matat is a, a major facilitator. Major facilitator. Not a small facilitator. The matat is a, is a major facilitator. He's going to pave the way. He's going to take care of it. However... You gotta respect the angel. Why do you gotta respect the angel? Because the angel is no less of a uh, uh, representation, in a sense. We have to be careful with these words. But is a I don't like representation. That's, that sounds weird. Is a messenger, so to speak, of me. So it says an extension. For he will not forgive your transgression. For my name is with him. In other words, the idea is that. Okay. So why will he not forgive your transgression? It's a good question. In other words, I would assume that the meaning is that the angel does not have the power of forgiveness anyway. Because the angel doesn't have that power. So the angel is just a reflection kind of uh, as... The angel is more in the lines of cause and effect where you know we do something and the angel gets certain information. We, we, we elicit a certain energy and the angel receives that energy and passes it forward and then brings that. So the angel doesn't really have a lot of choice here. So it doesn't have the power to forgive. God has the power of forgiveness. The point is that don't... It's almost like, don't do bad things, because bad things are going to happen. That's just the way, the energy that we put out is the energy, Kabbalistically. We've discussed this in the JLI class. What we do causes, it rises, just like precipitation, evaporation, it rises up, then it creates a certain reality on high, which then comes back down to us in the form of spiritual precipitation. It's the water cycle, the Kabbalistic water cycle. That's a good question. It seems like it was a uh, specific... Yeah, oh, as we'll see also that Moses says, I don't want this. We'll see that very soon. That's in the next text. Rabbi, yeah. Yeah. Really 
No, no, no. I'm not saying it's not the angels. First of all, this is God speaking. God is talking about the angel. No, so the way I understand it. The way I understand it is based on the context, the, what Judaism says about angels and about God. And, uh, Hashem certainly forgives. That's, uh, that's one of the major qualities of, of, of Hashem. That's number one. Number two is the angel doesn't have free choice, which is what we've been discussing throughout this text, our text, and, and other texts as well. So angels don't have their choice. So I'm assuming, again... We've got to look in the commentaries really through this justice. But I, I, my first reaction would be, he will not forgive your transgression. He doesn't have the power to forgive your transgression. And in that area, in that, on that realm of cause and effect, in other words, outside of God saying, I forgive you and shifting a reality, the reality is if you do something negative, it has a cha- within, the, within the system of cause and effect, spiritual cause and effect, we do something negative, it creates a negative energy, right? The angel's involved in that process, and then a negative energy comes back down on high, God forbid, but this is the process. So there's no it's it, there's no breaking out of that. There's no there's no there's nothing to shift it unless a person asks for forgiveness and God forgives. But within that system, within the angel, the angel doesn't have the power to suddenly create a shift. God has the power to shift, but not the angel. So I, the way I see this is, if, if Hashem is sending the angel and he's communicating with the Jewish people, yeah. so they're recognizing that angel. Correct. So so they see that angel. Yes. Okay. To a certain degree. Now, see doesn't mean see, perceive, understand. Exactly. It's a gar- literally. This is the guardian angel of Israel. Matat has in this at this moment becomes now not only the uh, the angel of the uni- the highest angel of the universe, but becomes the, that's why I put on the top guardian angel, the guardian angel of the Jewish people. God says, "I'm giving you this angel to be your guardian angel." Okay. Now, again, for me, the major point here is not forgiven or not forgive, but the idea that. God is, t- is saying that I'm putting my angel before you, and He's also saying, "For my name is within Him." In other words, there is a certain um, there, it, this angel is, on some level, an expression or extension, or at least a messenger, right, conduit of Hashem Himself. Now, yeah. And you may have already answered this, just not quite here yet, I guess. Um, so, gotta get stronger coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting though. Having this mess, this angel, are we the beneficiaries of anything greater than if it was God? I mean, no. What? No. The idea is that you're not. It's God is not disconnected. God is connected through the angel. So how does it benefit us? I guess that's the question. To how do we know? Yeah, I know. It's an you, maybe we can't. Sorry. The, the thing that I'm struggling with sounds related to those two comments. In other words, before. This, I always thought Exodus was written between God and Moses. Right. What's the added value of this intermediary? The idea here is that as you travel, as you travel throughout the desert, you're going to encounter many obstacles, many challenges along the way. There'll be a lot of battles. You should know that you're not alone. God says, "My, my presence is with you via the angel." All right, so that's what Moses asked for. Later on, later on in, in later on in Exodus, about ten chapters later, God says that's not. Moses says it's not good enough. I, we want you. We don't want an angel. That, there's there's a there's a drama here. You know, so you're looking at it from the perspective after the fact, which we know at the Passover Seder we say malach, We say that God took us out of Egypt not through an angel. 
not through a shlich, not through an emissary, but rather he himself, I took you out. But again, there's still two issues, because the exodus could have happened through God himself. But the rest of the history of the, of the journey could have happened through... It could have either been, now you're on your own, so go figure it out. Go get to Israel. Good luck. Here's some GPS action. Here's some, here's some mana. Go make it happen. God is saying, no, I'm going to be with you in the journey. I'm sending my angel to be with you in the journey. But again, so that, to me, that's not terrible, by the way. If God says, I'm sending an angel before you to, to, to guard you along the way, my angel that's called by my name, Matat, with the same numerical value as my name, I'm putting that angel with you, and that angel is going to guard you and take care of you. To me, that sounds tremendous. Now, what we want God? I think that's a good sentiment that we're reacting. Wait, we don't want an angel. This is good, because we're trained by Moses to go straight to the source. This is, a good, this is a good reaction. But again, if you start from a baseline of the human being is alone in this world, or existential loneliness, etc., da-da-da-da-da, right? Look at all the philosophies in the world. Right? If you go from that place, if God says, you got a guardian angel guarding your way along the path, this is, wow, I hit the jackpot. For us, yeah, we're not satisfied. That's a good thing. But I'm saying, let's, let's not devalue the first... Uh, of course, Jew. Right. It's like, what, you think I'll be happy with an angel? I need more! <laughs> what, what else can I get for some mana? <laughs> mana, 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 mana. Yeah. Okay. I, at one point, we talked about, depending on how many weeks vote you perform, you might have one angel... You right, that's in the, J- in the JLI class, so the Tuesday right. class. So, so Thursday. I, the reason I asked if we recognize that angel is... Maybe the angel is wearing, is it, maybe we're all, maybe there the angels are, maybe you're an angel, uh, you know, maybe we're, I mean, you are. Oh, thank you. But you know what, like, you are. make like, me blush. It's like, are we, is, is the angel, we, perce- the Jewish people can perceive the angel, but, but does the, an- do the, do the guardian angels, assuming you have maybe more than one? ever wear another disguise as in a human disguise? That's a good question. Now, angels sometimes take on a human form. That's, we know, when there's a specific mission. Typically, though, look, there's, there's a lot of stories about this and a lot of ways to look at it. But I, I, I want to draw a distinction, though, between what you're talking about and what, what it's mentioning here, which is what you're, what you're mentioning is that when a person does something positive, so they have an angel, they create an angel, or there's an angel that's associated with that act. Positive, actually, or negative, as we discussed. Right? Because... Every time you do something, it creates energy, and that energy um, moves upward, and then has an effect to move, has an effect, and then moves back downward. Right. So what we we get, what we give, that's that's that whole interplay, the water, the, the kabbalistic, uh, the energy cycle. So the angels are the ones that are carrying carrier angels. They carry the energy up, and they bring the energy down. So every time we do something positive, there's an angel that stands along that path and is able to bear witness to the good thing that was done because it was the carrier angel for the good energy. If we do something negative. There's a negative, there's an angel associated with a negative action because it too carried that negative energy up, so it bears testimony to the negative experience. This is something else. This is not the, the angel that's based on what we do or don't do. This is an angel that's specific, that's designated specifically to watch and care for the journey of the Jewish people throughout the wilderness. This is, specific, this is an angel that is set to guard the way. Literally, I'm sending an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I prepared. So if you find that the journey is, uh, is going easier than you imagined, there's a reason. There's a guardian angel. Again, this is not an angel that's created by what we do. This is an angel that God is putting in place, right? To, for a specific purpose of paving the road, so to speak, for the journey. Okay? Now, we have the power to interrupt that journey. Which is, which is why we were stuck in the desert for 40 years, because we messed up, stumbled along the way. 
but the, but, anyway, but we're going to see how Moses was not satisfied with the angel. Any other? Yeah. I know we've discussed in the past somewhere along the line that you know you can only accept or take in so much light. And yeah. I thought that there might be something that you know if you actually spoke with God or Moses spoke directly that it would just be too much. It would be like the truth you can't handle the truth. Right. For sure. Oh, you're saying that's why it comes through the angel. Right. Yeah. Th- th- there's a lot. Right. There's a lot of truth to that. In other words, the the full experience of God it might be too powerful. It might be too overwhelming. It might be too much light for the vessel. It might shatter the vessel. Absolutely. But still, Moses Moses asked for that. Let's look. Especially coming from 200 years of slavery. Right. It's like they, you needed that journey in order to purify. Right. No, I, I like what Jane is saying. In other words, the angel was a little bit, you know, it was it was a good step to kind of have that presence, but also not be so so overwhelming. But again, as we'll see, Moses was not happy with that anyway. Um, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. So now we understand. Let's get back to the first text. Let's get back to the Talmudic text. So flip over the page, first page of the handout. Back to the conversation between Rav Edith and the heretic. The heretic asks, well, who is saying to Moses, come up to the Lord? The answer is, it's Matat, the angel. And why is Matat able to speak on behalf of the Lord, right? To Moses, he said, he, Matat said, to go up to the Lord. So it's because God said, my name is in him. God says, I put my name in him. In other words, that this angel has a certain degree of, uh, uh, of the presence of Hashem. Now, asks the heretic, or retorts the heretic, we should worship him then. In other words, if this angel is so divine, right? The angel divine, and the angel is, right? The angel has God's name, so to speak, so we should worship the angel. You see what's happening here? Suddenly here it's turned into almost like a religious debate, right? Think about it, it's a religious debate almost. It's like now, where's monotheism? Now suddenly angels are divine, so we should worship angels, right? So now it's like we have this, this, and this. Now, here's the answer. The same passage, however, Rabbi Ravidit says, do not rebel against him, i.e. do not exchange me for him. In other, so this only works in the Hebrew, which is uh, another thing we talked about in, in the JLI class recently, on the Hebrew language, which we'll talk about Thursday in the class. And that is that in the Hebrew, words sometimes have multiple meanings. In the English, when you translate it, it will have one meaning. So when we translate it, God says, I'm sending my angel, but don't rebel against him. That word, don't read that phrase, don't rebel against him. That's one translation of the word. And what's the original word? So I forgot the word. I'm, I'm, uh... Anyway, the Hebrew word for rebel in that context could also mean exchange. So do not rebel against him. It could also mean do not exchange him from me. In other words, even though I'm sending an angel. So it's totally different, right? Totally different. Hence the power. So who was here Tuesday night at the class? Doris, you were here. Maritza, you were here. So you, you remember we said that, that you can have in the Hebrew a word that has multiple meanings and all coexist at the same time. And you can have a dual interpretation. Not that one is exclusive of the other necessarily, but you have two different layers of explanation. Whereas in the English, when you do a translation, it's going to look like one. And if you want to change, don't rebel against, don't exchange. It's like what you're making stuff up. But in the Hebrew, it works. In the Hebrew, the word means the same thing. So it means don't rebel against them on one hand. At the same time, even though you're not going to rebel against them, recognize that he's not God. Just an angel. Just an angel. Don't exchange. Don't make a mistake. So Rav Edith answers the heretic and he says, Sure, God says I'm sending an angel. And sure, God says this angel is my representative here on earth. 
or, or my representative, and therefore there's a certain uh, power to the angel in a sense. But don't ever mistake the angel for God. Two different things. If so, ask the heretic, why does it say he will not forgive your transgression? In other words, if the angel is not God, so what's with the trans... So he answered, Vidit answered, good question. By our faith, in other words, from us, from our perspective, we would not even accept him as a messenger of forgiveness. In other words, for him, forget about he will not forgive. Even if he's a messenger of forgiveness, we don't want to deal with him. Sorry, in the, te- in the, in the main text. You've got to turn the page back. Okay, this may be a completely different subject, but how come sometimes there are angels, uh, how come there were sometimes angels guiding Jewish people and sometimes not? I, I, I'm, but that might be a totally different. It's a good question. Hold, hold off for one second. So look at the last, let's read the last paragraph again. He answered. So again, the question is, if so, so, so he says, so the angel has, is, is given a divine mission, so Ravita says, yeah, 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 but it's, so why don't we worship it? Because it's, it's not God. Don't, you, can't make, you can't exchange it to, you can't, can't uh, confuse it to. So he says, if so, what does it mean? He will not forgive your transgression. So he answered like this, by our faith, by, and was, we would not accept him even as a messenger of forgiveness. For it is written, and he said to him, if your presence does not go up with us, do not take us up from here. In other words, and this is what Moses said to God, this is later. In other words, the idea is that us... We Jews, we don't want to do, we don't have anything to do with this angel. You're saying, how come you don't worship the angel? It's an angel, it's not God. So what about it? he will not forgive your transgression? Because he doesn't have any power anyway. That's why he's not forgiving your transgression. Even if he's bringing forgiveness, we don't want forgiveness via an angel, we want forgiveness straight from Hashem. As Moses said, cut out the middleman, we want you anyway. Where did, where did Moses say this? Turn the page now, divine guidance in the back. What? Yeah. I guess so. What's important about all this now? What's important about all this now? You're saying, what's the context of this? To understand the role of angels, and how angels, even though sometimes they have a divine mission, but let's never confuse the angel for the source. And this is the source of idolatry, as we've been discussing in the text. What is idolatry? Is saying, oh, there's an angel. Let me ask the angel for forgiveness. Or let me ask the angel for blessing. Or let me ask, uh, you know, let me... um, What's the word? I was going to say smooch up, smooch is, no, it's wrong. Let me, um, schmooze up, yeah, let me, let me, uh, let me butter up the angel, and we don't, we don't want to deal with angels. Who wants an angel? Right? Can you ask, uh, Exactly, exactly. It's like, hey Siri, what should I wear today? It's like, what are you, but it, that's, that's exactly. Yeah. The series. So I don't. So I'm. 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 I'm an Android guy. So I'm not. I'm not in that. But I've. I've heard. Well, I'm just. I'm just saying. I've heard. Wow, well, that's another story. So I've heard, but I don't. I'm not in it to to feel it. But anyway. So does it make sense? This is the context. This is. But this. Let's understand. So we're not. So we're just supposed to be aware of things, but not really interact with it. Angels are real, and the Torah speaks about angels, and God puts angels in our way to help us, etc. Wonderful. But it's God. Do it. The angel is not doing anything of its own. That's and that's exactly the, the the discussion. My point is, this is exactly the back and forth between the rabbi and the heretic. The heretic says, "Angel, angel, angel." He sets him up to say, "Angel." He says, "So who told Moses the angel?" Ah, why don't you worship him? That was the point. The heretic is right. So he says, "This is you're mistaking the angel for the source. The angel is garnished." Yeah, there's an angel, but what is an angel? What is an angel? Just a messenger. What is an angel? 
The angel, we said, so in the class we said the angel has a soul and a body. The body is comprised of the two elements of fire and wind, but only the spiritual aspect of those elements. So the angel has a certain spiritual form. Not a physical form, we can't see an angel, unless it assumes a human form, which is another, another possibility. But the, say it again? Yeah, well, that's that's why you have spiritual elements. They don't. Uh, they don't. Uh, by the way, each of us are comprised of, of of all four elements, which include fire and water. Somehow we make it happen, right? Sometimes we're calm, water. Sometimes we're fiery, coax, even at the same time. We're mashuga like that, huh? <laughs> From God. The point is, the angel though doesn't have free choice. The angel, the, matat, even matat. That's the point. Even matat. Who's the head honcho of the angel? The first creation. Doesn't have power. Ravid says, you think the angel has power, forgiveness? There's no power here. Well, yeah. What, what's interesting is, is, the way I relate to this is, you perceive the angel, you perceive the power, you perceive the eye, you perceive that. But there's something that, exactly. that is at a deeper level exactly. that has to do with faith that you may not perceive. Right, well, it, and the faith is to know, to know, in a sense, that there's something beyond what you see. That what you see is not what you get. Or, you know. Now let's, yeah. How would, how would you distinguish that between the angel and God? The angel is a messenger. So that's what Avid says. Even a messenger. Who wants the messenger? Who wants the issue here is presence. So I'm with you. Listen, there are. That's why in Scripture, angels are sometimes called by the name of God. Because when the angel is doing a divine mission, it's, in a sense, doing God's work, so to speak. So it's called by a divine name, but it's not God. It's doing, it's a, it's a conduit of something for God's wish or whatever, but it's not God. There's a difference between a conduit. It's literally the difference, as we're going to assume on page 40, the axe in the hands of the woodchopper. It's a difference between the woodchopper and the tool and the axe. It's a difference between the one who's wielding the axe and the axe itself. So it's coming through the axe. The axe is actually hitting the tree, but it's not the axe that's chopping down the tree. It's the wood chopper. What do you ask of forgiveness? Yeah. you ask through the angel? It goes, look, it sounds like certain things, energy is filtered through the angels. Even our prayers, they're carried up, so to speak, carried up to heaven through the angels. But it doesn't mean that the angels are actually consciously part of that process. They're literally, it's almost like, you send me an email, right? So it's got to go through. I, mean, I don't even know how it goes. It goes through a whole whatever till it gets to me. Whatever it goes through. But those steps are not conscious of the email. You're sending me the email. I would never say, oh, thank God I got such a beautiful um, email from Gmail, from Google. Such nice people. Such nice people. Right? Because it's not how you sent me an email. It's you. That's the, me- that's the conduit. That's the messenger along the way. So why don't we worship the question? Why don't you worship the Gmail? People do. <laughs> People refresh. No one yet. So, huh? There are always angels. There are always angels. Angels everywhere. Angels around us. Yeah, that's why. That's why with tzaddikim, when you walk into the room in front of a tzaddik, you don't have to open up your mouth. You don't have to say anything. The tzaddik can sense the good stuff and the not good stuff. It's it's right there, and it's not physically around you. It's spiritually around you. The energy, all of the energy is there. It's all there. Anyway, let's turn to the back where it says divine guidance. It says divine guidance. Alright? Moses said to God, this is after the sin of the golden calf. Okay? So this is ten chapters later after God says, I'm sending 
you, I'm sending an angel before you. So then the Jew, after that, subsequently, that was by Sinai. After that, they messed up. 40 days of sin of the golden calf, which we're actually talking about in this text. Sin of the golden calf, and then Moses goes up the mountain for forgiveness, and finally, finally achieves forgiveness on the day of Yom Kippur. Moses returns with the second set of tablets. Here's what, God, here's what Moses says to God. Look, you say to me, bring this people up. There is, you tell me, take the people, lead the people. But you have not informed me whom you will send with me. Moses says, you're telling me to lead the people, right? You forgive, I forgive you, lead the people. But who are you sending with me? You said, Moses continues, I've known you by name and you've also found favor in my eyes. In other words, God, you, God, you just told me that, yeah, you found favor, I'm forgiving you. In other words, we're all, we're all uh, 100%. We're all uh, we're a hunky-dory once again, right? We're, on, we're in a good place in the relationship. Now, if I indeed have found favor in your eyes, Moses continues, pray, let me know your ways so that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your eyes and consider that this nation is your people. Suddenly, so here... Many hundreds of commentaries on this verse right here. There's a lot of things that he says here. So Moses says, number one, if I found favor in your eyes, let me know your ways. Tell me the secrets. And was, if really we're buddy-buddy, if we're like this, so Moses says, tell me the secrets of the universe. Which God will soon debunk and say, you can't know this. And so I may know you, so then I may find favor in your eyes. Was, so tell me how, if I found favor in your eyes this time, so give me a formula to do it again. So it's two things. Tell me your secrets. How, tell me how to f- I can find favor in your eyes again. And the, se- the third point is, or again, there are multiple points on many different levels, but the third point that we're going to talk about is, and that's the main one, is in our conversation, consider that this nation is your people. In other words, you forgave them, but there's two things. It says in, uh, in, 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 in Tanya, and there's a section of Tanya called the Gerset Shuvah, which means the letter, the epistle on, on Shuvah and, repent, and return. So it says there's two parts of, of Shuvah. Well, yeah, you, you mess up in a relationship. So there's one thing to, to get forgiveness. But even if the person says, okay, I forgive you, are you still as beloved as before to that person? There's two issues. You can get forgiveness, right? The person says, I'm not going to hold it against you. But do you still love me like you did before? There's two different issues. One is, I'm not upset at you. So now you're at, so you did, I, I did something wrong because somebody's another upset. So if I can remove the upset, I get back to status quo, which is, I'm okay with you. But what about the Marutza? What about, what about the, the love? Not Marutza. What about the Marutza Lefana? What about the, the, the desire, the love for the other? That might not be there. That's a second level. After forgiveness, there's still, do I find favor in your eyes? You still love me like you did before. So Moses says, consider that this nation is your people. You forgave them. You're not going to destroy them. Wonderful. But that's not good enough, Moses says. It's not good enough. This, I wanted it. This Jews sin. God says, I'm going to destroy them. So Moses says, don't destroy them. God says, fine, I won't. But you have to love them. Oh, now it's, now it's a big deal. So he said, my presence will go and I will give you rest. God answers. My presence will go and I will give you rest. Vague. Moses says to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not take us up from here. Moses says, your presence better go with us. Look what he says. And if not, don't even bother. We don't, look what he says. That's, this is Moshe. This is Moses. This is, look, look. And by the way, I love that. That's a kept in the translation. It's, it's a beautiful, I, I got it from a, look, hold on, slow it down here. Look. So he says, if your presence... Does, so God says, fine, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll be with you again. Right? Like before. So Moses says, if your presence does not go with us... He's threatening him now. Right? <laughs> if your presence... Do not take us up from here. 
Don't even bother. For how then will it be known that I have found favor in your eyes, I and your people? In other words, if you're not directly involved, if you send your angel, look what he says. This I'm reading between the lines. If you're going to revert back to your angel and you're going to kind of step aside, in other words, it's not going to be clear that you're directly connected with our journey. So how's that? How people are going to think that you just cast them off into an angel, right? That you're just delegating, and you're at, you and, and indeed there's still a little bit of a of a. You have to understand something here. Yeah, because we have to stop here. Historically, this is what was said about the Jews after the destruction of the temple. That God, right? That God abandoned the Jews. God doesn't love the Jews. God found this is what ha- this is. This is not ha- Moses is coming up with a fantasy. This was an argument to even till today that the Jews are not right. This is still an argument today. What is still- that God abandoned the Jews? Well, not even that. I'm saying even after the second temple, this is going back thousands of years. Christians said that God abandoned the Jews. Right, God abandoned the Jews, and there's a new that God doesn't want. The Jews were the chosen people. Then they messed up, and then it's done. What I'm saying is that this is not. Moses says we have to. I want it to be clear that you are still with us. That we're still tight like this. For how then will it be known that I found favor in your eyes, I and your people? Is it not in that you will go with us? And the only way is if you, if it will be clear that you are with us, then I and your people will be distinguished from every other nation on the face of the earth. In other words, every other nation on the face of the earth has an angel, as we said before in previous classes. But if you go with us directly, if it's clear, and how could it be clear? God can figure out a way to make it clear. But if it's clear that you are directly connected with us in our journey, then then it's clear to the whole world that God has forgiven the Jewish, Jewish people from the sin, and God is once again with the Jewish people. Does this make sense? Moses has tremendous chutzpah. He says, it's not enough that you forgive us. It's not enough that you say you forgive us. You've got to show, show the world that you forgave us. Show the world that you're still with us. You've got to lead us directly. We don't want an angel. So before, let's understand something. Before this sin, it was okay if there was an angel. Because it, it wasn't called, into, you understand the psychology of it, because the relation wasn't called into question. So if it was an angel, it was also okay. But once there's a threat to the relationship, Moses says, if you want to give your stamp of approval back in the relationship, it's not good enough what was before the status quo, which is an angel. You've got to be directly involved. What was good before is going to open up rumors and murmurs and shushkas right now. You understand? But before an angel, before the relation was threatened, you could send an angel. Everyone's like, God is still with the Jewish people. There's an angel helping and facilitating. But now an angel's not good enough. Because people say, oh, you know why there's only an angel? Because God is really upset. So really, the angel's the only one. That's what, that's what Moses says. That's what Moshe is saying. You have to, we want you and only you. We don't want anything else. And God acquiesces. The, the end of the story is God says, fine, I'll do it. Okay, fine. Okay. Um, could it also be that Moses was concerned possibly that the Israelites may revert to worshiping Mekah or any other Oh, angel? I hear what you're saying. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. I definitely hear what you're saying. I I agree. I personally agree with that. It's I don't know if it if we can if we can smooth into the text, but I would say for sure that that would as a Moses saying like you know we got into this mess because of a golden calf because we're putting something else in between us and God. Right? The nation put a golden calf in between God and said, well let's focus on the calf. Let's not go down that path again. We don't want any angels. Yeah. Give us directly. It's not what he says, but I like how you're thinking. I like that. I would agree with it, yeah. Um, the question also is, to be the chosen people, 
depends what you're chosen for. You know, I mean, chosen to me doesn't. It means you have a a special relationship as a nation, but but it's not up to the people to decide what they're being chosen. Well, absolutely. For. Well, we have to understand also the name of the chosen the chosen people. The chosen nation means literally chosen for a specific task. In other words, right. it doesn't. We have to understand it's not. It's not a, thing, a matter of better or worse. It's a matter of chosen for a specific task. In other words, there's a unique role of the Jew, and really, what is that role? It really comes down to the 613 mitzvot. In other words, that's there's a unique formula, unique pro- protocol of do's and don'ts that are unique uh, to the Jewish nation. So chosen means definitely for a certain mission. The idea here, though, is that Moses is saying, "Look, let's. We we don't want to feel." that in any way that you're not with us. And we don't want the world to think that you're not with us and that, 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 that you've, you've given up on this, uh, on this mission. So that's, that's really the energy that we're getting from this. But the, here's the point. The point of all of this is that we see that, God, that Moses says that we don't, want any, we don't want any messengers. We don't want any intermediaries. And that's what Rav Idid says to the heretic. The last paragraph of his response was, By our faith we would not even accept the angel Matat, even as a messenger of forgiveness. For it is written, and he said to him, Moses said to God, If your presence does not go with us, go up with us, do not take us up from here. In other words, what Rav Idid is saying is echoing Moses' statement of, what You, the heretic, are trying to tell me about Matat, and we shall worship Matat. We don't want any angels. You keep your angels to yourself. Right in the Torah, Moses says we want God, we don't want angels. Let's not let's not confuse the issue. Well, that's why I mean, really, I never even thought about it. I mean, to me, angels are a predominant Christian theme. It's like the angels are not, unless you're knowing about Kabbalah or really. I would. It's never, in Torah. Really angels are definitely in Torah, but I understand what you're saying from a Jewish place, we always minimize angels, and we always emphasize their relationship with God. We say you pray to God. Now, in Kabbalah, yeah, the, the prayers are going through the angels, but again, it's like the axe in the hand of the woodchopper. It's not, the angels are not, and you're right, we always make an emphasis on, here's the point, it's not only angels, it's human beings. It's everything. We always make an effort to minimize, to minimize any other force other than God. It's pure, this is monotheism. Pure monotheism is, it's us, it's me, and God. That's it. It's the only two uh, realities. Um, it, it seems like the, there might be a parallel in, in, in human relationships too. What Moses is essentially saying is, because we sin, I need more of an assurance. Exactly. And, and, it's a powerful idea. And the, the sin itself, because of the sin and the forgiveness... At that second level, you're actually closer. We can get to a better place. This is much deeper, much deeper. It says in, in, in Tanya that when you tear, when you cut a, a cord, when you cut a rope, where you tie it now becomes doubled over and quadrupled over. And it was the knot. It's also shorter. You're closer. It's also shorter, but it's also like in that space, it's more intertwined. In other words, there's more, there's more rope there. There's more of a, it's a, it's a thicker connection in a sense, or closer. However you want to look at it, you can look at it different ways. In a sense, exactly. Now, again, not that we're advocating to, uh, not, but the idea is that through exactly Moshe's, and, and that's a, thank you for bringing that up, that what Moshe is saying is that what this process of teshuva is not just to get back to square one, it's to get back to a better place, a deeper place. Before the angel was fine, now the angel's not good enough. The angel's not enough. 007. It's a David's point, too, yeah. If, if you never sin, you don't really know the strength of 
because it's like, yeah, it's right. great that you love me when when all's well, well, when we're first dating. Yeah. And so that's why I thought it was interesting earlier when when you talked here about, um, you know, like, yeah, you forgive me, but you still love me. You know, depending on how the teshuva happens, it seems like the love could be greater. Exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. I have one question too, and maybe off of it, but. In this time, was it believed that Moses actually heard God's voice, or was it more like a, like you know, we could get like intuitive voices and things like that, where we hear like a voice in our head, so to speak, you know? But was it believed that Moses actually heard uh, with his ears a voice? It's a very good question. How it actually went down, I don't know, but I know what the Torah says. The Torah says that there was never a prophet, and there will never never be a prophet like Moses. Says at the end of the Torah, who spoke panim al panim face to face with God. And who had that kind of, that, who had that, that 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 type of communication? Now, obviously, God did not. How it actually happened? It wasn't just prophets heard. They got communication. They got in a vision. They got they, they they heard the word and they they transmitted it. It was more than that. It was much more than that. Moses was radically different. Difference between the word ko and zab between like or this. And as you see, it's like real. To Moses, it was real. It was face to face. What that means, actually, you know, was it, did he speak, I don't know, that I don't know. But it was definitely on a completely different level. So it wasn't just, you know, getting an inspiration, hearing a voice in his head, because that others, other prophets could, could experience. This was a much deeper form, and closer form of communication. Let's get back to our text, page 40. Does this make sense what we study today? Yeah. So, the rabbi and the heretic, the heretic's position is trying to force the issue of the angel. There's an intermediary, there's an angel, you've got you to gotta give credence to the angel, you've got to worship the angel. And, and, and Rav Idit is saying, forget angels. We don't want angels. Angels are messengers. They're not, we don't even want messengers. We want to straight to the source. Moses says, don't give us a messenger. We want the source. We want the original. Because God said that He's still with us. And God promised a, uh, a third temple. God promised Mashiach. So we got to stray from the source. By the way, there are those who say that the... Um, the decree of Rabbeinu Gershom... Anybody know Rabbeinu Gershom? He lived in the period following the Second Temple's destruction. Or maybe around that time, before or right after. I think after, I don't know, for sure after. So he decreed a ban on polygamy. No polygamy is officially okay by Torah law, by biblical law. We don't do that. Do you know why? Because this guy, Rabbeinu Gershom, outlawed it. Huh? Why? Yeah, about it. You can put a restriction above and beyond. It's called putting up a fence, whatever. It's called. It's, it's, the point is that he, he. So there are those who say that a deeper significance of this is, you know, we speak about our relation with God in different ways, but one of them is along the terms of marriage, right? That we're the bride and God's the groom, so to speak. The idea that you can't take another can't take another wife, the point is, it's almost like a statement to God, you better not, uh, you can't, we're, we are, on earth we're forbidding this, and we're still with you. From our perspective, we're still married to you. So you can't take another, huh? 
No, no. And, and you can't give us. We're not going to take it. We're not going to receive it. And so the point is that, and God, divorce. And so God says, and so we say to God, and you can't take, you can't take anybody else. We're still with you. Still exclusive. There's some who's to, anyway, I, I just said that briefly, but that's uh, one of the deep insights into that. Anyway, the band, yeah. Why was polygamy you gotta look at it. Look, there's a. You'll, Google it. You'll find the Wikipedia. <laughs> no, this is Rabbinic It's a lot. It's, yeah, yeah, it's another subject. It's another subject, and it's. Okay, I'm just. Yeah. That's another question, all right? I know. 40. And the axe in the hand of the woodchopper, what I just did, what we just did in the last hour or so, was just explain what we said in, in the top paragraph, or this, the big, the top paragraph at the top of page 40. Right? We talked about Matate, the minister of the universe. You know, I'm just going to read the end of that paragraph. Before it says the axe in the hand of the woodchopper, uh, in the middle of the paragraph it says, Namely, the power of a ministering angel or other purveyor of vitality, even the likes of the angel Matat, called minister of the universe, is not something else besides God's essence. There's nothing else at all. There's nothing else. There's literally nothing besides him. In other words, Matat doesn't have its own, doesn't have its own, his, her, whatever, its own power. It's all part of God's influence and it's all transparent in a sense to God. So there's only one God and Matat uh, is not, uh, doesn't have its own energy, its own power. Okay, let's, let's segue into the axe in the hands of the woodchopper. Ed, take it away please. The axe in the hands of the woodchopper. The role of the ministering angels may be compared to that of an axe, which has no significance of its own without the woodchopper who uses it. The axe has no choice over what it does or does not do generalities and specifics of how the axe is used are entirely up to the woodchopper's artistic vision and manual dexterity. Now, I will tell you that, uh, um, you know, I don't know how, how much art goes into chopping wood, but I think the point here is, you know, artistic vision and manual dexterity. I don't know if you would say that about a chopping wood. I think you're just kind of trying to fell a tree. But, but the idea here is, is, ob- is clear, which is that the woodchopper or the craftsman or the artist, whoever it is, somebody's using a tool, the finished product is totally up to the visionary, the artist, the woodchopper, the one who's, who's utilizing the tool, not up to the tool. Right? The generalities and specifics, I love that. The general concept of, am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? Which tree am I going to cut down? Right? The general concept, but also the specific of how it's going to be done. In what way it's going to be done. This side or that side. High or low. Angle, this angle, that angle. All of that is determined solely by the woodchopper. Not at all by the tool. I'm thinking about a piano, for yeah. example. You play on a Busendorf for a piano, or you play you know, on a piano that's out of tune. Right. And the outcome is very different. Right. So, oh, so we're going to get there in a second. There's two more. Give me, give me one more paragraph, and we're going to get to that point. Continue. The work is not at all attributable to the tool, but rather to the craftsman who acts through the tool. Right. So when you the work, the finished product, we've discussed this many times. The finished product, uh, the work, we say, oh, Yashakoach, good, great job. We say to the one, to the craftsman, not the tool itself. Now, here's your question. Continue. As for the saying, a craftsman without tools is no craftsman. In other words, you need tools. Without tools, right, you're playing off key. Without a tuned piano, you're playing off key. Continue. The meaning is not that the actual work of the craftsman is attributed to the tool, but that without the tool, the ability and proficiency of the craftsman cannot be actualized, and thus it would effectively be as if he were not a craftsman. doesn't mean that you're not uh, a concert pianist, right? Who's utilizing an out-of-tune, uh, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, piano. It's not, right? It's piano. <laughs> 
Sometimes they, they pianists work on a piano, but anyway, <laughs> so, so right, it's out of tune. So it doesn't render that person not a not a a concert pianist. They're still a concert pianist, but it's as if they're not a concert. In this moment, they're not. Uh, they don't have the tool that that properly expresses their gift. Right, an artist without the right tools. You know, without paint, uh, you know, you may not be able to express what you want to express. So, for sh- you definitely need the tool. But the point is that the tool is just the tool. The tool is the f- is is the vehicle of expression, is the method of expression. But it's not actually the creative force. It's not the creative genius here. The creative genius, the craftsman, the visionary stands behind the tool and utilizes the tool, manipulates the tool in his or her way, and it's not the tool that's doing it. You can say the angels with the sharpest tool. Ooh. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, good. Take it away, continue. He may understand the significance of all the specific categories of physical creation, inanimate, vegetative, animal, and human, in a similar manner. Now, this is huge. This idea is huge. You see, wait, wait, wait. We can't turn the page yet. Look what he says. Just like we've been explaining that angels don't have their own energy independent... The same thing is true with everything in creation. Look what he says. We may understand the significance of all specific categories of physical creation. Inanimate, vegetative, animal, and human in a similar manner. In other words, nothing else has its own power. Look what he says. Does this make sense? You see how we transition here? We've been discussing that there's nothing else in God's world. There's only God and the angels don't have their own power. The constellations don't have their own power. His point here is the rocks don't have their own power. The vegetables, the animals, even human beings. They, in a, in a, we have to be careful with the human being because there's free choice. And we're going to explain how that works soon. But here's the point. They, they exist in a similar manner. Now, look at 71, footnote 71. Because for some reason I'm feeling like I'm not explaining this clearly. Footnote 71 says it straight up. Page 41 at the bottom. Just as the heavenly beings are not entities distinct from God... Neither do the terrestrial creations constitute something additional to God. Just like we said, there's only God. And the angels don't take away from that oneness. Right? Because the angel is just a facilitator, just a tool. And it's not like God plus the tool. It's God. Right? It's not like the craftsman plus the tool. It's the craftsman who created that. The artist, right? Picasso. You don't say, Picasso's great. No, Picasso and the brush are great. No, we don't even... Brush is non-existent. So too, it's with the world itself. Not only the angels, but the world itself. Everything is transparent on the deepest of levels to the reality of God. To the reality of Hashem. It's the oneness of Hashem. 42, continue. Although each general category and each specific creation has its own degree of power and vitality, these do not constitute anything additional to God's essence. In other words, you can have a world of plurality, a world of uh, many. There's many things in this world. There are many things in this world, many species, many plants within each species, within grass, many blades of grass, millions of gra- blades of grass. There's, there's, multipl- there's many there's multitude of, 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 th- of creations, and yet, doesn't take away, doesn't add anything to God's essence, it doesn't take away from God's oneness. Continue. Rather, these powers are all themselves expressions of Havaya. For this reason, in the statement, Havaya is Elohim, the name Elohim is in the plural form, signifying that the powers that enliven all species created, formed, and made during the six days of creation, as well as each specific creation, whether inanimate, vegetative, animal, or human, are all expressions of Havaya. In other words, when we say Havaya is Elohim, Elohim is plural, Elohim refers not only to the angels, not only is Havaya Elohim, the angels are, are really one with God, and they're not a separate entity. Not only that, but 
everything in creation, all the species, everything that's created. He says not only every species, not only are all the, this, the, the species of this animal and that animal and the other animal, but within each species, within the, each specific creation, within each species, they're all expressions, expressions of Havaya. They're all part of God's oneness. They don't constitute, on the deepest of levels, any plurality, any... any um, um, fragmentation of God's oneness. We look at the world and we automatically think fragmentation. We think there's, there's a lot. There's a lot and this, this is not where God's oneness is. The point is on the deepest of levels everything is an expression of God's oneness and everything is transparent to that oneness. Continue. Even now it is He who brings them into being exactly as when they were first created. They don't have their own essence in a, on the deepest of levels. They don't have their own independent essence. Their entire being, their entire life, their entire uh, reality is all part of, is all attributed to God. In other words, it's all part of Havaya. So when we say Havaya is Elohim, Hashem is Elohim. We say it in, uh, on Yom Kippur at the end of, of Yom Kippur, we say it seven times. Say Shema Yisrael, we say Hashem Hu Elokim, Hashem Hu Elokim, Hashem, seven times. What is Hashem Hu Elokim? The idea is that there's nothing else outside of Hashem's reality. That even when we look at the heavens, there's nothing else besides for Hashem. Even when we look on earth, there's nothing else besides for Hashem. There's only Hashem. Now, and everything else is an expression of Hashem. All the animals, all the plants, all the species within each species, all the, all the millions of, 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 of parts of that, of that family... Everything is all transparent to Hashem. Not that everything is Hashem, not that the blade of grass is God, but that the blade of grass is nothing outside of God. There's a difference there. But why the need for angels? If God is so powerful and ever-present, why is God... Good, good. You, you ask the same question regarding the, 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 the spiritual, the four worlds. It's like, why, why are there worlds and why is it? The idea is that God created the world. And you can ask why still. I'm not giving a, a really good answer for why, but... We know how God created the world. God created the world. He wanted to create the world in a way that has a logical framework behind it. So in a way that logical framework is that things work step by step and there's a process for things. It's not just, boom, it exists just suddenly. So there is a framework. So if information or if energy needs to be transported up and down, so there's, there's Jacob's ladder. There's a ladder. There's this world, the next world, the next world, the next world. Sure, it could go straight up to Hashem. Straight up to the source. But... There's a process, and the angels are part of that process to kind of facilitate. But anyway, the point is that just like the angels are transparent to, to God's reality, the, uh, all the other creatures are as well. Hashem is Elohim means that everything is part of that oneness. And he says at the end, even now, it is He who brings them into being exactly as when they were first created. Just like when everything was first created, the beginning of time, the beginning of you know, the first moments of time. Everything comes into being from Hashem, and nothing else has its own independent power, because nothing else could bring itself into being. Everything is created into being. The same thing is true at every single moment, every single day, every single moment, everything is constantly created. This is the point that he's about to make, which is a powerful idea. Continue. Indeed, the verse, you give life to, Machaya, them all, may alternatively be read, as you, gave existen- as you give existence to, Mehave, yeah, yeah. them all at every moment and every instant as it says who in his goodness renews each day continuously the work of creation so what he says here the verse says 
you give life to them all. He says, don't read Mechaya Ela Mehava. Don't read it Mechaya, you give life, but rather you give existence. The difference, so life and existence was the difference. One sounds like you give life means you gave life once upon a time. The point is, the way it's understood Kabbalistically is, not only you gave, you created it once upon a time. It's not like you created the sun and then the sun is doing its own thing independently. Right? So you have God and the sun, because the sun exists. No, 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 that's not how it works. The sun is, com- is constantly regenerated at every single moment. You, create, you give existence at every moment and every, and every instant. It's almost like, I think even scientifically, <coughs> there's something to be said about things kind of flashing on and off at every moment. Right? There's, I, mean, I don't know the words, atoms, whatever it is kind of molecule, whatever, kind of flashing into existence. Like nothing is static. We look at things as static. And there's nothing, even scientifically, you know, when you look, even scientifically, when you look at things, nothing is really, a solid wall is not solid. It's made up of small little pieces of whatever it is. So there's nothing truly solid like on that level. Right? So this is a, this is a very important idea here. And that is that nothing is static. Nothing. It was created. It's solid, right? This, yeah, it exists. So there's God and the cell phone. Because this exists. This doesn't need God anymore. No, 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 no. This is constantly and continuously regenerated every single moment from nothingness to being. At every single moment, this is coming into being anew. As the verse says, it's, uh, we, which, which uh, I just read, this is, all, all of these are verses from Psalms that we, re, that we recite in davening every single day, right before the Shema. It says, you constantly create uh, in His goodness, renews each day, continuously the work of creation. Every single day the work of creation is renewed. It's not like things were created once and then it's just evolving from there and things kind of play out on its own and God is, you know, 18, as I always say, Pebble Beach, 18 holes and, and doing His thing. Everything is constantly being regenerated. There's nothing old. Everything is fresh. So, but the verse says every day. God renews it every day. So he says, no, 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 don't get stuck in every day. Continue, as explained elsewhere. explained elsewhere, this renewal of creation is an expression of his essential goodness, for it is the nature of the benevolent to do good. He renews and re-enlivens old things each day, continuously, and not just each day, but each moment, the daily renewal being slightly more recognizable, as explained elsewhere. Why do we say that the world is renewed every day? Because every day we realize, oh, I got a fresh start. But it's really happening at every single moment. You're Modani in the morning. Thank God I'm alive today. I have a new day. That's every single moment. You've got to live const- constantly Modani. Judaism teaches your life at every single moment has to be, thank God for this moment. Boom, that moment's gone. Thank God for this moment. Thank God for the next moment. Every single moment is a moment of gratitude and profound thanks with the understanding and the recognition that this too is a moment, a brand new moment that never existed and nothing had to be in this moment. But God chose to once again put everything into place in this moment, which radically changed the way we look at everything. His point here is that everything comes from God. But this changes everything that we know. There's nothing static in God's world, number one. Number two is, God chooses to recreate at every single moment, which, which gives me legitimacy. God is saying, I want you here right now. That's a tremendous calling, tremendous slow clap. I want you here right now. You got something to do, something important. Otherwise, I, 
I wouldn't have bothered putting you into being at this moment. You have something profound to do, which is why you need to be here right now. Tremendous calling of personal responsibility. Tremendous, tremendous responsibility. This is the idea of Atta Mechayas Kulam. Constantly, God constantly recreates. This is one of the major teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. Not necessarily something that he came up with, but something that he emphasized. Along with Abbas Yisrael, love of a fellow. He didn't come up with these things, but he emphasized these things. One of the major doctrines of the Baal Shem Tov was this idea of constant creation. The world is constantly coming into being. And it's a game changer. It's a game changer on so many levels. Life is valuable. Every moment is precious. There's no extra moment. It's, I can never be, be complacent and say, this moment, it's okay if this moment looks like the last moment. It's not good enough. That moment is gone. That moment is uncreated, has been destroyed in a sense. There's a new moment now that I need to do something, not in a negative sense, but there's a new moment now, and the old is gone. If I... If, one second. If my moment now... If it's good enough for me that the moment now is like the moment that was, that's not good. Does that make sense? That's not okay. Because if, if this moment can be just like the last moment, so why did it justify, why did it need a deconstruction and a brand new creation? To have the same? What was the point? And I'm telling God, thank you for recreating, but I think it should look exactly like before. God says, no, 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 there's got to be something new now. And I say, no, I think it should look like it did before. God says, I want it new. I want you to keep on growing. Hanukkah, we light 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. We never stop. We always increase every single moment, every single day. We increase. So I say to God, you know what? That's your opinion. With all due respect. But I think... That it's fine if I look exactly like I did a moment before, and yesterday, and the day before, and the year before. It's fine. It's okay. I'm still a good person. And you are a good person. I am a good person. But the point is, God says, God has more faith in us than that. God says, I want you to be radically different. To be radically different requires a, a radical shift. An existential shift. And God says, I'm giving you that. We're creating the world anyway. I'm creating your reality. Fundas night. From scratch. Brand new, in this moment. What's the message? Justify it. Justify, justify the newness of the moment. Recognize also that without the recreation, you don't have your own energy. You don't. You have to be careful with this. Of course, you have to choose. And the point is that at the same time, God is bringing this moment into being. So, without God, how much does this moment exist? Can this moment exist without God? So here again, we have the. The idea that Hashem is Elohim. Everything that we see is Hashem. Because without Hashem, it doesn't come into being in, in a recreated fashion. It's not like it can exist. Hashem created and then He's gone. Hashem is constantly recreating. Every single fraction of a second. Every single moment. Every single second. There's a new creation happening. There's energy pulsing. Again. Every moment. The energy... It's like we did the, um, we did the meditation last Shabbos morning with Rabbi Pinson. The idea was Breath. You have the exhale and the inhale. So you have the divine exhale, which is giving energy, and then a moment later, the divine exhale, which is withdrawing the energy. It's exactly what we're talking about. At every moment, there's, there's an exhale and an inhale. Where, or, or an inhale, I guess, and an exhale, where God withdraws and then gives a new energy. Withdraws, so everything is constantly blinking. It's almost like a TV screen. Right? It blinks. Is this true? 
Is that how it works? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And we kind of fill in, or like motions, right? There's frames, and then, but because it happens so fast that it looks like fluid motion, but it's really separate frames or whatever. Is this any of this true? Yes. A movie? Say it again. Alright. So the point is, right, it's the same thing. Life looks like it's fluid. Life looks like it's constantly just rolling on. It's not rolling on. Every frame is unique. It's like a cartoon. This is a better example. Disney. Right? You draw frame by frame by frame by frame by frame. You put them all together. Yeah, Mickey Mouse is jumping in the air. But it didn't happen like that. It's one frame stop, one frame stop. Now you blend it together quickly. It seems to be uninterrupted. But it's interrupted. Every moment there's an exhale and an inhale. God is recreating and destroying, recreating and destroying at every moment. To be conscious, to live in that place, means that you're aware of God's reality, God's life in your present, in every single moment. That's a game changer. That's a radical, that's a paradigm shift of living. And with this we're going to conclude, and the idea here is that to be conscious of this means that you're living with Hashem and you're not under the illusion, or the mis, you know, the illusion that, oh, things exist, things are just stuck the way they are. The biggest idol that we can have in our lives is the status quo is holy. I can't change because that's the way it was. I can't be better. I can't do that. Why? It's an idol. I'm worshiping it. To worship the status quo means to defy God. To defy the the ability of a person to transform themselves because God is transforming the moment. That's the biggest idol. So what he says here, it's one thing to know the truth that the angels are not a deity. But what about your life? What about the deities that we create? What about the gods, the, the idols that we create in our own life? I can't change. How many times do we think that? I can't change. This is the way I am. What do you want me to do? It's not the way you are. It's the way you were. You're a new person. You're a new person. You've got to embrace it. And to believe that I'm an old person, I'm stuck in that way, is to say, well, God's not here. God didn't recreate me. I, who created you? Oh, maybe He created me once upon a time, but now I exist. You're an idol. That's not Jewish. Every moment is not Every moment is an opportunity for redemption, for recreation. You're recreated every single moment. Again, to discuss the, 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 the um, ramification of this, we could spend a year, we could spend years on this. You know, there were certain teachings about Shanta where it says that he taught something, and there were Siddim, there were students that spent 20 years integrating this into their divine service. Praying with it, studying with it, and everything they did, living with it. This is one of those things. You can work for 20 years, 30 years, to try to integrate this. It sounds, I mean, it, it makes sense, it hits on all cylinders, it feels right, it, it makes a lot of sense, it brings things together. To live with this, to integrate it, is a lifetime's work. But that's the point that we're, that, we're, that we're segueing into here. The angels are not static. The angels don't have their own energy. Neither is the human being. Neither is the blade of grass. Neither is the sunrise, the sun. Neither is the ocean. Nothing is static. Everything is being recreated. So what does that mean? Everything is a miracle. Why, and why do we say it happens every day? Because it looks new every day. Because you woke up. But wake up every moment. It's a new moment. Nothing is static. Static. Status quo. It's greatest idol. One of the greatest. Many idols. One of the... Yeah. Yeah. Sounds 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 close. All right, makes sense. All right, I'm glad it made sense. Um, go to next.